0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast, it's Stuart here as always, and thanks for tuning in. I know we're at the kind of tail end of the mid-season break, the summer break, but I thought, why not do the little recap, the mid-season recap, see what um, the year has been like so far for the F1 World Championship. Uh, it's... One-way traffic, as if you've been listening to the show and been following the sport um, through the season, it's been pretty much one-way traffic. And didn't think that we'd reach the halfway point and have Red Bull unbeaten. And, you know, I know I'm a lot more optimistic than some people. And, hey, I have optimism still, or I'm going to back my guns in... Predicting that I don't think Red Bull will win every single race. So, well, we've got ten races to go for the year. I feel like um, someone is going to get in there, or Red Bull are going to have a have a not so optimal weekend, and someone else will take in uh, get in there and steal the chocolate. So, that's something to look forward to at least for for the final ten races of the year. But <clears throat> First 12 that we've had so far, uh, yes, one way traffic. I mean, we came into the year with a bit of optimism, you've got to say, off the back of last year, where, you know, it started all very well. You had Ferrari, who were the fastest. Red Bull were, had, you know, had their hands full if they were to um, go back to back with Max Verstappen, and, you know, certainly the first few races. Very much went the way of uh, Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. Now I'm doing a recap <laughs> last year, um, and then it kind of all just fell away for for them for various reasons. And thought, okay, well, you know, they've, they've made ch- changes that they wanted in, in terms of management. They brought in Frederick Vasseur. They got rid of Mattia Bonotto, uh, Mercedes as well. After going down this um, no pod side con, uh, no pod. Um, concept last year, had had they learnt anything to make big enough gains over the uh, winter and over the pre-season, which didn't end up being the case, unfortunately, because we got to testing and Red Bull were imperious. The, you know, the only surprise in testing, I think, that shocked a lot of people was the gains that Aston Martin had made, which we'll talk plenty about as well, but it very much looked like it was going to be a Red Bull sort of stranglehold on the on the championship you know if you want to really be flattered or you know go into that the prospect of having both their drivers fighting for the championship I mean <clears throat> yes it it, it it was a lot of attention was made I think publicly and amongst media and, and content creators whatever you have you but being honest, and I've said this, I think, multiple times throughout the year, I don't think that it would have happened anyway. Red Bull were too smart to let, you know, what happened at Mercedes, you know, in 2014-2016 happen, you know, in their environment. You know, they're very much like, well, we know Max is our alpha, you know, we want to secure the best possible result for the team, which means, you know... 1-2 1-2 in the championship, which, by the way, they haven't actually achieved yet um, in their, you know, short but dominant history in F1. I thought maybe 2011 or 2013 uh, with with Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel, they would have done a, had a 1-2 in the championship, but there was always a Fernando Alonso or a Jensen Button in between them. So, and mind you, Webber went winless in 2013 as well, his final year. So when, when making comparisons to you know Perez and the the form he's been in and yes a lot of a lot has been made about that as well um I don't think it can be as bad as as Webber in 2013 but then you know and and Vettel was on a whole another plane of existence like Verstappen at the moment even if you know Red Bull did benefit greatly from the the Pirelli compound shift that came sort of after the you know middle of the year after that British Grand Prix so you know, I don't think Perez has done too badly this year, he's doing every, he's still getting the results that the team needs, he's still second in the championship, if he slips away from that, then I think it would be a problem, but, you know, he himself admitted that, I think, the prospect of being considered a championship contender got to his head a little bit, and, you know, he took two wins, Um, from the first four races, of course, everyone's going to jump on that and be like, oh my god, world champion Checo Perez, Um, but realistically, you know, that you're not going to be bringing Max Verstappen down within that team, and I think, you know, for Checo's own confidence, I hope that the second half of the season, he can drive a bit more freely and perhaps get some, another win or two on the board at Even if it's one win, I'm sure um, he'll take that over going winless. Particularly with how Verstappen is performing, Um, but the qualifying slump certainly didn't help either. Not making it to Q three for six consecutive events, Um, whether it was team error or driver error, you know, it was just a driver that you know pressure was on, wasn't really performing. Um, all the rumours and speculation that Daniel Ricciardo is there and he'd be able to take over and, you know, not that I think that Ricciardo would be doing much of a better job by comparison. So, you know, it's, it's that thing. But it just shows you the kind of driver Max is, is how there was this prophecy, you know, there was this prophecy. There was this prophecy going back, you know, uh, almost 10 years now, where there was this boy, this boy, um, <laughs> son of former racer Jos Verstappen, who, you know, was this once-in-a-generation talent, um, this prodigious talent that would perhaps become one of the greatest, uh, in F1 if he, if he made it, and, you know, Red Bull certainly saw this and were like, we can make it happen, um, quicker than Mercedes will, uh, and, what basically, you know, what this is, is just him sort of fulfilling fulfilling that prophecy and showing that, yep, he really is that prodigious talent that he was hyped up to be from his karting days and, you know, obviously he didn't spend a lot of time in development series or for a junior, the junior formula, got straight into an F1 car in 2015 and from the outset was, was quick and you know, ruthless but rough around the edges and what we're seeing now kind of is, you know, him continuously sort of perfecting himself as a as a complete driver. So, you know, I know we can sit here and wax lyrical about Verstappen all um, all day, but, you know, when you look at the stats this season alone, uh, well, he's 25 years old for one too, which is, wow, he's still got a whole, you know, whole another 10 years potentially of F1 ahead of him if he wants to but that's another story but you know he's had 12 wins sorry he's had 10 of the 12 wins that Red Bull have achieved so far this season he's dominated all three of the sprint races as well that we've had um and yeah winning Grand Prix is just simply inevitable you know and the union between car and driver you know it's 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 poetry in a way when you get um, a car that good and a driver that good that just everything is happening so harmoniously and um, in union, unison. So, you know, there's not really much more we can say about Red Bull, really. Like, I think the only thing heading into the second half of the season that will be um, interesting is going to be if they're going to have that effect from the, the wind tunnel or the ATR penalty that they copped for breaching the cost cap, <clears throat> or that they were found to have breached the cost cap uh, for 2021. So is that, you know, limited development going to really stunt them in the second half of the season? Is it going to have a knock-on effect to 2024? And that's where, you know, Red Bull, Christian Horner and co are concerned that it will, while, you know, their rivals were like, no, it's probably not, because they're that far ahead. They probably know what they, you know, they probably have everything worked out, and it's not really going to be... They just have to, you know, work around it and be a bit smarter, instead of having the luxury of being able to use more time in the wind tunnel. So, probably not going to affect them too much, which is going to be disappointing, and that's a whole other... topic of discussion where you, we can go into talking about how the penalty or the penalty for breaching the cost cap it, considered a, a minor breach major breach whatever you want to call it a breach is a breach and you know it feels like there wasn't uh just enough penalty um punishment handed down it almost seemed like a slap in the wrist because a fine to a team like Red Bull is is not going to affect them too much and then yeah taking away a little bit of their aero time or their wind tunnel testing time for a team that's already so far ahead of the game is it's it's kind of you know it's a bit trivial in a way so you know we'll really see how that pans out um but yeah behind Red Bull I think it is disappointing to see the lack of competition, um, Ferrari, you know, have regressed, you got to say, this season, you know, performance-wise as well, you know, last year at least, you know, they had the caveat of saying we've got, you know, on paper the fastest car, you know, in, in qualifying, certainly Charles Leclerc did really well, um, but this year we haven't even seen that, and I think, you know, it was only, Spa recently, where we thought, oh wow, you know, they're actually looking quite competitive this weekend. Not in the sense that they're going to beat Red Bull, but you know, we can at least have both cars on the podium, which didn't end up being the case anyway, um, but Leclerc did end up on the podium, so, you know, the fact that, you know, they're not even second best at the moment is a big step backwards from last year, um, very disappointing in that Leclerc, fifth in the championship, 99 points, and Signs seventh in the championship, 92 points, and hasn't had a podium yet this season either, so that's a bit disappointing, it's been a bit of a flip-flop year for Carlos, and I think, again, the whole dynamic and the lack of confidence and indecision on the pit wall has been really something that's um, troubling them again this year. You know, they've lost key personnel um, outside of Benotto with Dave Sanchez, um, the head of car development I think it was off to McLaren next year Laurent Mechies, the racing director off to AlphaTauri next year as well Um, they benched Inaki Rueda at the start of the year, who was the head of strategy um, and really under fire after some of the decisions that they made last year. Um, But yeah, you know, the indecision and lack of confidence is still very much evident when they are out there racing. And in recent races, you could hear signs' frustration with when Ferrari are kind of running both their cars um, in tandem or one behind the other, that, you know, signs. The quicker driver, he's on a different strategy, um, doesn't get allowed to pass Leclerc, and I think think that's ridiculous that they would, if they had that confidence, you know, I'm sure they'd be able to make that decision and say, yeah, go ahead, and then we'll swap the positions if it doesn't work out, and you never know, it might end up, um, they might end up gaining something out of it, which they really haven't, so... Yeah, not really much more to say about Ferrari other than uh, other than disappointment. I don't feel like they're going to... I feel like they're going to go through 2023 as another winless season, which, you know, when you look at um, recent seasons, certainly, um, you know, after 2019, uh, they've had a few seasons where they've not won a race. 2020 being one of them... 2021, another one. Yeah, so two two seasons where they were winless in 2020, 2021, and now 2023 again. And so disappointing when coming into the new technical regulations, ground effect era. Um, it was really Ferrari's chance to hit the ground running and be the, the team to beat, but unfortunately not. Mercedes, um, on the other hand, you know, it was thought, I guess, or it was like, oh, after, you know, going down this uh, development route uh, that hasn't quite worked out, you know, why not just ditch it all together coming into 23? You know, we see other teams on the grid, and you know, midfield teams and, and some of the back market teams understanding that, okay, the concept that Red Bull have got with their aero and their side pods, is clearly the best, Why, whereas both Ferrari and Mercedes decided, oh, look, you know, we're, we're still going to stick to our guns and, um, you know, try and see if we can unlock something with this package because the the wind tunnel and all the, the data tells us it's it's good, but unfortunately, no, and, you know, I guess they were sort of um, pushed into a false sense of security with the win that they had in Brazil at the end of last year that oh you know this this is probably worth sticking with and um let's go into the new season and hopefully we'll be able to unlock something but that wasn't the case at all um they kind of picked up where they left off or just you know slipped back a little bit because Aston Martin came forward uh then they had the changes that they made in their technical department, with Mike Elliott being sort of shuffled sideways or promoted, um, with James Allison being brought back down from the role he was in to being kind of the overall uh, car designer. So you know how that's going to work for them moving forwards will be interesting. But they have diver- they have abandoned the the zero side pods, and you know they have been sort of bringing upgrades through the season but I think the latest upgrade that they, have at, they had at Silverstone didn't quite you know give them the the steps that they or the unlock what they wanted quite so much so hopefully with a bit more through the season they'll be able to get to where they want to be or in a, in a, be in a better place what has been interesting though is the sort of revival or you know reversal in fortunes between their drivers so last year it was very obvious that Lewis Hamilton you know also probably hung over from uh 21 the championship battle going down to the final race and and what happened there um he you know didn't seem on it as much as his new teammate George Russell was and you know all the hype around Russell blah 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 um, overrated a little bit, <laughs> uh, I've, I've kind of made it quite clear I'm not the biggest George Russell fan, but each to their own, um, it, it, you know, good driver, great driver, you know, but don't have to be a fan of his, uh, but yeah, this year Hamilton has been a lot more consistent, he seems a lot more dialed in with his car, um, even though it hasn't changed Like early on in the season, it hadn't changed too dramatically. But, you know, he's been able to feature on the podium. I think Russell's only had the one podium so far this year in Spain. And Hamilton's had at least three or four, including his home race at Silverstone, which would have been um, a joy for him as well. And Silverstone, easily my favourite race of the year so far, coinciding with. McLaren's fortunes as well and them kind of emerging as second quickest team and towards the end of the first half of the season but also pole position in Hungary as well you know his first pole since um, I think going back to Saudi in 21 so um, to have that one lap pace and you know Mercedes were on pole in Hungary last year as well with Russell but yeah for Hamilton to do it I think you know a great reminder that you know he's still one of the greatest of all time drivers even though he's 38 years old seven time world champion only driver to have gone over 100 career wins um but you know despite Russell kind of being this upstart and like oh you know I'm going to I'm going to wipe the floor with Lewis uh it's it's not happening anytime soon son and yeah the whole talk about uh, Hamilton's contract as well, whether he will stay, it looks likely that he will sign on with Mercedes, and I can't see him going anywhere else, you know, he's, if there's one thing that, you know, um, amongst, you know, a lot of negativity that Hamilton gets from some parts of the internet and, and F1, you know, the one thing, you know, at least everyone has to, um, give him credit for is loyalty, and the fact that, you know, Mercedes-Benz is a brand that he's been aligned with since, you know, basically he was a, a kid. Um, and he's he stayed loyal with them throughout. And, you know, it's not just about the racing as well and, and the winning on track and collecting the accolades and trophies and, and titles and whatnot. It's about, you know, building building awareness and, you know, changing culture and all this sort of excellent stuff that we've seen him champion in in more recent years and particularly um, through the years of the pandemic as well um, with a lot of social issues. So, you know, I can't see him going off to a Ferrari or somewhere else and as much as people want to fantasize about that, good for you, Write a fanfic about it. We don't want to, don't want to see it actually come to reality. Um, but yeah, you know, it would be poetic for him to stick it out with Mercedes, finish off his career in the car, and then he's gonna do a whole bunch of ambassadorial stuff, and that'll be excellent. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. I think with with Mercedes, it's just disappointing that you want it all now. I want it now. I want a championship battle now. But again, we have to kind of, you know, um, bite our tongues and be like, all right, well, let's wait till, let's wait now another six months or whatever till 2024 and hope that they're up in contention then. Aston Martin, like I said, um, were the real surprise coming out of testing and, you know, I guess it's it's kind of nice to be proven wrong about them because it is a team that I really ripped into last year and was saying, look, you know, given all the the money that Lawrence Stroll is throwing at it and um, the hype being thrown around them, like, oh, he was going to turn this team into a championship-winning force, it looked like that they kind of went backwards even from when they were Force India, you know, being able to maximise um, their very, you know, um, minuscule budget to actually be a a giant killing team, but we haven't had that since they turned to Aston Martin in 21, but 23, you know, they sort of quietly went about their work in the off-season, they had um, the... Ex-Adrian Newey, protege Dan Fallows, brought in as their new head of Aero, and they were one of the teams who identified as well that, you know, the the Red Bull Aero philosophy, the, the side pod philosophy they've got is clearly the best and we need to we need to kind of go down that path and you know not do it like we did in 2019 when we um or 2020 when they uh out and out copied the the mercedes from the year before um but you know they, they came you know to preseason testing they launched their car a very neat car and a very fast car um having a Fernando Alonso on board as well now after Sebastian Vettel's retirement, um, a bit of a renaissance for Alonso, because, you know, here's a driver that we thought, oh, what, what's he doing back in F1? Um, give give uh, some young junior driver a chance, you know, like, what, what can Alonso achieve, really? And then, going to Aston Martin as well when that decision was made last year it was like (laughs) what are you thinking mate are you are you are you still kind of um traumatized by your time with McLaren Honda that you want to now go backwards on the grid and enjoy fighting for you know fifth sixth seventh or whatever but no I think it it was an absolute masterstroke and he bought into what Lawrence Stroll was, um, putting on the table and, you know, six podiums from the first eight races that he got. Um, there was high second in the constructors championship as well, which, you know, in recent races, it's kind of come, come back a little bit, but, you know, it was like watching a little renaissance of Alonso and thinking that, oh my goodness, he could actually win a race. You know, the first, first potential race win since um, 2013. It's been 10 years since he's won a race. And, you know, whether he could have done that at Monaco or not is a debate to be had in hindsight. Um, and I feel like, you know, the the low standards that I set for for them this year, you know, they've, they've clearly inverted that. And even if they don't, you know, finish second in the championship or whatever, third or fourth even, I reckon, um, they have still made big enough gains to demonstrate that, okay, this is the team that we have to look at um, over the next couple of years because the likes of Alpine... and McLaren would have been in there if they hadn't made the gains that they did um, in recent events before the mid-season break, but the likes of Alpine who... Have again been plagued by um mismanagement and infighting and lots of other political drama are not gonna they don't look anywhere near being able to fight the top three in the in in the championship you know they that was their goal at the start of the year that was what Otmar Zafnau said now having you know been given the boot as well um as well, what my staff now said is that we want to end the season closer to the top three than to the rest of the bunch, uh, the travel, uh, you know, the um, the chasing pack. And they're going to finish with the chasing pack, unfortunately, with Alpine. So, you know, lots lots to, you know, unpack and think about there. And also, you know, their decision to ultimately not want to... Um, Retain the services of Alonso. It's been the gain of, of Stroll and Aston Martin um, more so than a loss for for Alpine <clears throat> and whoever's in charge there. Not Laurent Rossi anymore or um, uh, Otmar Zaf now. But anyway, great highlights though, watching him have that wheel to wheel battle with his old foe Hamilton in Bahrain, first race, and you know, again quick in Australia, seeing him on the podium first time in ages um, here as well, he was a regular back in the day when he was at Ferrari and and his uh, Renault career as well, Um, but on the other side of the garage, have to say, a little bit disappointing with Lance Stroll, and I know a lot of respect can be given to him for the way he started the season, of course, with his Uh, injuries on both wrists, and coming into the Bahrain Grand Prix, and coming uh, in the point, finishing in the points, you know, that kind of only gets you um, as far as a few races, and then when you've got a car as quick as... Uh, Alonso is showing it to be um, you've got to be performing a bit better and you know the best result for Stroll so far this season was fourth in Australia and mind you that was um, you know because he survived all the chaos towards the end of the race and it was a it was a good little haul of points for Aston Martin that day but you know to not score points in Miami um, he didn't Make it to the end of the Monaco Grand Prix, out of the points again at Silverstone, the home race, and just kind of being on the bottom half of the the top ten. It's it's not ideal, and you know Silverstone was an example with the um, botched move, and or if you even want to call it a move or attempt at an overtake on Pierre Gasly was like, oh mate. Like, have you not learned anything? You've been on the grid for quite a few years now. You should know how to race. Um, and it just gave me flashbacks to the end of last year where he did some really horrendous things, you know, um, Brazil with, with his teammate and then the massive crash in Austin with Alonso, his soon-to-be teammate, um... It's some real boneheaded stuff and like not even a rookie would make that error so you know while stroll isn't necessarily the worst driver to have ever driven in f1 you know at the moment on the grid he's not really doing anything for for anyone and so you know it, i would love to see him unlock that raw speed that we've seen him uh forward, like pole position that he got in Turkey a few years ago and, you know, the kind of um, performances that got him a couple of podiums, even, you know, podium in, in the Williams back in the day as well, which was not a very competitive car or barely competitive. So, you know, a question has to be asked, and I've said this multiple times, if, if you're brave enough as a board member on Ast- at Aston Martin, is whether... Young Stroll is going to be a liability to the team's long-term trajectory. Um, and obviously, it looks like, yes, that that's going to be the case. And Lawrence, being the businessman he is, he's got to make a decision. You know, I know he's pretty much only an F1, you know, to, to what we believe he's only in F1, to make his son world champion. I don't think he's going to be world champion when you've got Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Oscar Piastri even, a whole host of other drivers on the grid that, you know, will likely be champion or are already championed before strollers. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. You don't want to hate on drivers, and I'm not really hating, I'm just stating facts, that it's just not quite there and it's not quite consistent. I think having two consistent drivers, scoring points for them, like, if we get to the end of the year, and where are they? They're third at the moment, Um, Ferrari's not too far behind, but you've got McLaren, who, if they have a solid second half of the year, they could very much be fighting for third with the likes of Aston Martin and Ferrari. The thing that you would say that has lost them that position is the fact that they don't have two drivers scoring points. And that's, you know, something that I've said about McLaren over the last few years with Daniel Ricardo not really pulling his weight. Um it's it's absolutely key that, you know, you have two drivers that are gonna be able to get points consistently for you. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of having a teams championship kind of thing. So, you know, great For Aston Martin, what they've done so far this season, and I'm, you know, eating my humble pie, and, you know, I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong about, you know, how the investment's going in that team, and, you know, they've actually delivered the results, so, you know, let's see if they can sustain that. With that, too, McLaren, and who would have thought this at the start of the year, when Bahrain Grand Prix... Both cars were barely able to make it out of Q1. Piastri, his first race, a disaster, didn't even make it past the first couple of laps. And then Norris, how many pit stops did he have in that race to um, service that pneumatic pressure issue and then still being classified as a non-finisher at the end of the day. To Silverstone, for, fast forward to the British Grand Prix, Norris takes the lead ahead of Verstappen, going into the first corner. Oscar Piastri side by side with Verstappen, like a little pit bull, um, hassling them all the way to cops, it is. And, wow. And then for Oscar then to be leading the sprint race in in Belgium as well, and getting his first top three finish, and this is the thing that, you know, irritates me. About the sprints is, you know, they don't actually count as proper podiums, so we can't say that, oh, because Oscar finished um, P2 in the sprint in Belgium, that was his first podium, but I know an actual podium is coming around, hopefully, pretty quickly, but the progress that they've made, and also the kind of expectations that were tempered by the new team boss, Andreas Stella, earlier in the year, um, I think it, it's great, because... You know, he was very calm in the way he said, look, you know, realistically, this is where we are, we're not going to have our upgrades or the desired upgrades that we want ready till till Baku, which is the fourth race of the season, um, and then after that we've got, you know, this plan of bringing regular upgrades with us, uh, for the rest of the season, and, you know, to be fair, like, while they didn't score points the first two races, um, surviving you know the chaotic race in Melbourne um and getting sixth and eighth you know both cars in the points and Oscar being able to score points on home soil as well on debut um wasn't wasn't a bad thing because they weren't too far behind Alpine who was supposed to be their uh, rival in the midfield and then you know of course it wasn't until Monaco they scored points again as a duo, and then, you know, Austria, when Lando got the first, uh, a lot of big upgrades that really saw a spike in their performance, he was fourth, and, you know, then the rest is history, couple of podiums for for Norris, and Belgium, they did kind of mess things up with putting too much downforce on the car, um, and the race wasn't a wet-weather race, but, you know, Lando's performance was just... Lando's performance, he does brilliant things, and it's really nice to hear from him, you know, despite all the attention and speculation that, oh, driver this talented should, you know, take up an offer from Red Bull or, you know, go to a better team, but he wants to win for McLaren, he wants to win races, he wants to win championships, it's nice to see that belief, and given the fact that McLaren cops all sorts of flack from all corners of the internet and people who think they know um everything and every and everything and anything about um F1 and car racing you know the am- amount of flack that Zach brown cops as well because he wants to sign every single driver under the sun to him you know you've got someone like lando who's showing his loyalty and his commitment and he wants the results, he's pushing for the results, and then when he's got a car capable, he's bringing the results, so, you know, let's focus on that more so than the negatives about, you know, let's let's not talk about Alex Pillow or even Daniel Ricciardo a, a year ago and all that, and with Piastri as well, like, what an absolute score, you know, and also what a You know, score from him and his management. You know, Mark Webber, of course, is his manager, to identify McLaren, despite you know the you know suboptimal year that they had last year. That you know, okay, this is a team we want to go to. This is we have more faith in what they're going to achieve than what Alpine is going to achieve, and we're seeing that come to fruition. And you know, Piastri has been very measured and calm and composed, he showed that maturity in Silverstone at the start of the race, and then even when he lost the chance of a podium because of the safety car, he didn't lose his cool or his um, calm, but carried on and brought home his best finish so far in a Grand Prix, which was 4th and it's like, okay, on to the next one, and then the next one, when, um, signs decided to go off his chops, and be like, how dare someone try to go down the inside of La Source, no one in the history of racing has ever done that, you know, Piastri didn't care, he didn't, you know, react to that, it was just like, well, you know, there was enough of a gap there, and I would have made it through if you didn't lose control of your car, so, you know, the, the maturity that we're seeing from this kid is incredible, and, you know, I just feel I just hope that he, with the guidance of Weber as well, um, ends up making some good decisions in terms of you know where he ends up in his career. You know, it's all about timing in F1, and we've seen so many drivers get it wrong, um, and they lose that opportunity to be in the right place at the right time, and um have a car capable of winning the world championship and you know unfortunately ricardo is a driver in that category where you know go back to 2014 when his stocks you know rose so high he beat sebastian vettel and he was the only driver to win races other than the mercedes duo that year it was like give this guy the right car and he will win you a world championship and unfortunately red bull couldn't Um, for the subsequent years to come and then he made the decision to go to Renault thinking that was a good idea and then McLaren and all that so hopefully with the with the guidance of Weber and his own maturity we'll see Piastri make some good decisions in his career um, and whether he will win championships and races with McLaren or elsewhere I think you know it's it's a matter of time uh, and not a matter of if it's a matter of you know, it's a matter of when, not if, it's going to happen. Anyway, so that's McLaren. Um, a lot to look forward to for them in the second half of the season in terms of points. They are what eighty something points behind uh, Ferrari. So I really feel like you know, fourth or third could be a target for them, depending on what Aston Martin and Ferrari are doing. Mercedes are probably too good, um, and will stay second, you know, and they'll also benefit from the development that they bring, but it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, on paper McLaren have the faster car, but, you know, just because of the points deficit, they can't get to second by the end, so that'll obviously raise a lot of eyebrows in that respect at Mercedes. I'm not going to talk about Alpine, because you've already heard enough of me talk about Alpine and basically just kind of bag it out of them um unfortunately but the yeah it's it's not looking too great at the moment but a lot of intrigue around the back end of the field as well because Williams has put in some stellar performances with Alex Albon um Logan Sargent unfortunately has had a bit of an anonymous rookie campaign to date um he was on a cusp of a point at Silverstone but you know didn't quite execute, and, you know, Albin has kind of comprehensively um, wiped the floor with him, though, but whether it's, you know, fair to be like, oh, well, we need to ditch Sargent now because he's horrible, like, it's only his first year. Yes, he may not have been everyone's first pick to put in that car, um, given that he wasn't necessarily the best driver in F2, last year but you know it's unfair to be like okay turf him unless you're Red Bull of course because Red Bull can do that and get away with it as they did do with Nick DeVries unfortunately and it's a whole nother thing where AlphaTauri it was it was a recipe for disaster like Alpha AlphaTauri is still you know disappointing that they are effectively the slowest team on the grid Um, disappointing that you know they have to kind of look outside the the Red Bull Junior ranks because there's no one really ready at the moment to to put in that team and you know whether you want to put Liam Lawson in there next year is is a debate for another time but the fact that you know De Vries came in as well with a mentality that I'm not a rookie I'm you know I've got experience, I've got, you know, a Formula E World Championship, and also I'm an XF2 champion as well, yeah, great, but you're coming into a new environment, don't be so hostile and so pushy like that, um, it's, yeah, been a bit dismal for them, but, you know, Yuki Tsunoda is scored a couple of 10th places got them on the board at least but it's it's not going to be great you know they've basically got a write-off this year and hope that next year when they do kind of get a bit closer you know in terms of their technical allegiance with, with Red Bull again and you know start using a bit more of their uh technology as much as they're allowed to that they can actually you know kind of become a bit of a competitive force in the midfield again like we've seen them in the past um cuz yeah the likes of Haas again have fallen into this trap of oh you know we're not going to bring much development through the season or they just don't seem to develop their car or get upgrades you know it's a quick car but then it's not in the races, it's not good at managing its tyres, it's a problem that has been inherent for years on the Haas car. You go back to, which was the year with Rich Energy, 2019, um, they had that issue with uh, you know having a quick qualifying car, but then the tyres just basically fall away during the race and you know we've seen Nico hulkenberg unfortunately fall afoul of that um one too many times a season but vindication i guess that um vindication and valid- validation to bring hulkenberg back despite the fact that you know he has spent three years out of the sport and how often do you have a driver who you know unfortunately his main sort of Claim to fame is the fact that he's not yet had a podium in F1, given the fact that he's been around so much and been with teams capable of getting podium finishes. Um, that he's come back and his is really covering up that or papering up that um, hole that Mick Schumacher, unfortunately, you know, couldn't couldn't do anything with last year, where he was just. Crashing the car or making too many mistakes. Um, and, you know, Kevin Magnusson coming back last year kind of put an end to Schumacher's career, and not that, you know, Hülkenberg's doing that to Magnussen, because I don't think that Haas would change their lineup going into next year, but stranger things have happened. Um, Magnussen's kind of being shown up by Hülkenberg, so, you know, it is what it is there, but unless they actually develop their car, I don't think there's much to really look forward to, and, you know, who knows? with them, but yeah, they, they're they kind of there, I feel more optimistic about Williams at the moment, and they're tied on points for 7th uh, Williams and Haas, um, and all the noise that James Vowles, is the new team principal, is making as well about wanting to to change the culture, and, and how it's not pretty much an overnight fix, and wanting to upgrade some of the facilities there, which have been around, you know, for 20-odd years, um, so yeah, a lot more, I think, positive noise coming out of Williams than at Haas. Alfa Romeo Sauber as well, I think, you know, the, the 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 go-to line on the Grid Talk podcast, and I love using this line, is that, you know, they're basically just sitting around waiting for the Audi um, funds to be injected, and or wait for the Audi takeover to kick in, because, you know, performance-wise, they've been pretty dismal this year, you know, they've got a consistent car I feel but it's just consistently slow and you know they've scored some points which has been good you know Joe Guan Yu has had a pretty solid season so far like in terms of comparing him to teammate Valtteri Bottas, and there was a point earlier in the season where Joe was outperforming Bottas quite regularly, so it's like, oh, well, has Bottas had it now? And comparisons of Bottas being made to his compatriot, Kimi Raikkonen, when Raikkonen ended up at Alfa Romeo Sauber at the back end of his career, basically was just, you know, showing up and doing his thing, and that was it, you know? And is, is Bottas really in a similar place when it comes to that, and I feel like, you know, as much as, you know, Bottas was one of my, you know, favourites going back to 2014 to, you know, potentially be a world championship calibre driver, really, you know, the stint at Mercedes, while he did have success in terms of race wins and and, um, finishing second in the championship and all, um, I think... He's not going to get back to that peak, necessarily, and, you know, I feel like 2026 or 2025, when, you know, the Audi takeover does kind of kick in and everything, Bottas isn't going to be a driver that's going to be high on their thing, they're they're looking for someone like a Carlos Sainz or Lando Norris and and other drivers, Mick Schumacher potentially, if they can kind of groom him into, into that seat, so... You know, I feel like we're probably heading into the twilight of Bottas' career, even if it's even if it's um, sad and disappointing and we're going to miss his, his mullet and his glorious moustache and all, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, yeah, that kind of sums up the the field then, really. And didn't mention Daniel Ricciardo, of course, coming back into F1, replacing Nick DeVries. Uh, he's only had two races and you can't really judge him off that. So far 13th and 16th that he had in Hungary and in Belgium. Um but yeah, you know, as far as what the rest of the season looks like, we've got ten races to go, three more sprints, the Las Vegas Grand Prix as well. Um I think, you know, the battles in the midfield and and with uh, you know, McLaren coming forwards and everything is enough to really sit down and be, and watch every single race for the, for the rest of the year, it'll hopefully be, um, quite entertaining, and leave you with a, uh, sense of optimism heading into 2024, which we got the calendar for the 2024 season, Um, earlier on, and I've kind of, you know, forgotten about um, having a look and kind of talking about it with with everyone, Um, so let's do that now, 24 races, you know, are we actually going to get all 24 this time, because we have had cancellations in recent seasons, especially with the, um, Chinese Grand Prix, and unfortunately this year the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix didn't go ahead as well in Imola because of the devastating floods at the time, um, also, you know, rest in peace, the Imola Cat as well, unfortunately passed away recently, a, a, a popular figure, um, you know, as popular social media and internet figure for, for a lot of F1 fans, so yeah, um, rest in peace there, but, um, yeah 24 races like as you guys know i'm not a fan of the calendar as it is you know particularly the lack of sort of regionalization as well and the wanting to be a bit more sustainable yet it's not happening as such um and also cramming in all these races i mean wow like how many triple headers are they going to be i can't even tell at the moment but what i can say is that We have the first two races of the season. They're going to be held on Saturday evenings um, due to, of course, Ramadan being in early March next year. Um, And yeah, Bahrain and Saudi, your first two races. Australia coming in race three and kind of back into the March um, window as well. And that's, I think, better as well because uh, where it was... In April, the last two seasons, uh, daylight savings, that change occurred. So, you know, the um, daylight ends quicker. So having it in March, you have a longer day. Um, It's a lot more of a vibe and an atmosphere. Not that it isn't anyway, because it's Melbourne and it's pumping. Always love the Grand Prix. Um, But the biggest change, I think, is the fact that Suzuka has been brought up to 4th. In the calendar, so it's supposed to be twinned with you know China, even though there's, there's a gap, you know, like a, a weekend's gap between them. Um, and that's to kind of you know, even though it doesn't really work in terms of regionalization, um, having the first five races in the Middle East and sort of Australasian region, despite the fact that you know they are going to be moving you know, back to base, and then back to this side of the world each weekend, and then off to Miami, you know, for that standalone race, and then your European leg with, um, Imola, Monaco, then, then Montreal again, kind of being out of place, and then back into Europe for those, uh, key races, Barcelona, Austria, Silverstone, Hungary, uh, Belgium again, you know, being before the mid-season break, so that's 14 races we've got, you know, in the first half of the year, we get our mid-season break, come back, Zandvoort, Monza, um, Baku now being in September as well kind of twinned with uh, Singapore so two street races back to back and thankfully no clash with the Bathurst 1000 (laughs) oh you know that's a that's a bit of a godsend I think as well when you look at um, uh, major events uh, or major racing events and you know Bathurst clashing with Suzuka had been my Achilles heel for many years so not that it's going to happen this year anyway because um, I think Bathurst is on the same weekend as the Qatar Grand Prix but we've got that then somewhat of a break another um break you know through october it's not until the end of october october 20 um that we have our sort of north american or central american and south american lake with um uh, texas and Mex texas mexico brazil then back to um Las Vegas and then over to the Middle East for Qatar and Abu Dhabi to wrap up the season so you know there's not much more I can say other than you know it looks like they've tried to do some regionalization but it's it's not quite you know there completely 24 races are we gonna have see burnout in in the teams and the personnels and all that a fan's gonna start burning out you know Oh no, you're not a fan if you don't watch every race, or you're you're not you know watching every practice session, or, or get. I can already see people getting up and about and sharpening their pitchforks and being all critical because, you know, sometimes life is more important. You know, F1 isn't life, particularly if you're a fan. You know, there needs you need to learn to have that disconnect because otherwise the alternative is very dangerous and very toxic, and I don't wish that upon anyone, because, um, yeah, people do get hurt and whatnot. Anyway, let's not rant about that. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, you know, let's see what the last 10 races of the year bring us. Uh, I will be back with the review of the dutch grand prix in a couple of weeks and we'll talk supercars too because the ben super sprint is on this weekend uh and lots to unpack from that too silly season wise so look forward to it um be sure to check out the socials x you know what what what's called now not twitter at hit the Apex Media. There's also a link tree with all the links to various things that I do. The Instagram, the the raw article, as well some articles I've written for F1 Chronicle, and also shout out to Grid Talk again. Um, check out their podcast as well. They are very very lovely. Until next time, thank you very much, and I'll see you then. Bye.